0: Hi, you are listening to 42 Minutes, where we interview the interesting philosophers and artists of our day. The interview you are about to hear was recorded on the 1st of July, 2013. You will be listening to it, however, on the 23rd of July, 2013, which would begin the celebrational days of Sirius, interestingly enough when you consider the subject matter of Philip K. Dick. Bill?
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, This is another exciting edition of 42 Minutes. Our special guest today is Tessa Dick, who is uh, the last wife of the author Philip K. Dick. Um, I've been asked to join uh, regular host Will Morgan uh, to interview Tessa today. Um, good morning, Tessa. How are you?
2: Oh, good morning. I'm surrounded by cats, but other than that, it's a beautiful day.
1: <laughs> we just noticed this before we started the call that uh, you're talking to two Williams today. So I'm going to be going as Bill, and our other host, Will, can introduce himself right now.
0: Hi, I'm Will Morgan. You can call me Will. Um Okay. or Will 1 and Will 2, as we've already established before. Um, So have you always been, I mean, uh, during the period in Phil's life that we are talking about tonight, there's a lot of talk about cats. It's interesting to me Mm -hmm. that we're talking about cats now. Is there anything that, you know, you would like to set straight as far as the cat stories go?
2: The cat stories.
0: Well, him saying that he had a a psychic link with his cats and that the cats ended up getting uh, cancerous or or dying early and things of that nature.
2: Oh, that was Pinky. Uh, Shortly after I moved out of the house, Mom left Dad and she was going to send Pinky to the pound. So Phil and I rescued him uh Pinky is short for Pinkerton, the world's greatest the first and greatest private detective
0: Pinkerton men. Yeah, I know Pinkerton.
2: A private mm-hmm. dick.
0: <laughs> so yep. So what happened with
2: with Pinky? Well, he disappeared for a month. We had actually gotten an, another cat when Pinky turned up outside fighting with the new cat so we had to give Fred back to the girls who had given him to us because they didn't get along and we have no idea where Pinky was but when he came back he, he was um... ill and eventually we had to take him to the vet and they tried to uh, do surgery because he had tumors on his kidneys, but the the doctor called me during the surgery and said, "I'm I'm sorry, but it would be kinder to uh, just never let Pinky wake up." Mm. So we decided to go ahead and let Pinky never wake up. Mm.
1: So when you first met and Phil, it was in uh, 1972, right?
2: Right, July. I'm not and sure on which day, but the first week of July.
1: And I read uh, your book, Remembering Firebright. It's an excellent book. Um, I found it very well, informative. thank you. And I wonder, you said in the book that your parents um, told you that they initially wanted to call to name you Jane, but that because of well, family I'm, politics, they decided against that name. Uh, and I was wondering if if that fact, when did that fact come up in your relationship with Phil?
2: I don't remember exactly, but it was early on. And Mom had wanted to name me Jane Elizabeth, but... Um, Dad's mother paid the hospital bill, and she really wanted me named after her. So I ended up being Leslie, spelled the man's way because that's how her name was spelled, because she was (laughs) named after her father. He didn't have any sons.
1: Oh, I see. Do you recall any chance that when you related this story to Phil, how he reacted?
2: Oh, he was um, always looking for similarities between women that he met and his twin sister who died in infancy. He he believed that she would be reincarnated and he would meet her someday.
1: In your book, you, you kind of reference the style of your relationship often as cocooning, in that you know you lived in uh, the house together, neither of you had driver's licenses, and that you spent most of your time uh, together sort of in a solitary environment. <laughs> Do you think it was a conscious decision for, by Phil to sort of recreate the sort of living space of the womb that he shared with Jane?
2: I hadn't thought of it that way, but he had agoraphobia. He was afraid to leave the house, sometimes he would we were in an upstairs apartment and sometimes he would start downstairs to get the mail and be unable to make it and run back in and he was also afraid to drive he um, always tried to find things in walking distance
1: yeah it it appears uh, that he had very bad luck with cars
2: yeah, especially a certain Pontiac convertible that broke down on the uh, freeway out in San Rafael, up in Marin County. Of course, if he if it hadn't broken down, he might have been home when uh, people broke into his house and trashed the place.
0: This is the that would
2: the not have been
0: good. that was when the the filing cabinet got blown open. Is that
2: Yeah. Um and it wasn't even locked. They didn't bother to try the door. <laughs> they just blew it up.
1: <laughs> That's bizarre. You know, yep. I wanted to uh discuss an element of that day in particular, the way that you write about it in Remembering Firebright. Uh this show forty two minutes is is sort of obsessed with the concept of synchronicity, and, and it's it sort of informs um, a lot of the ideas that the hosts here and the guests have, and it's a subject that we, we're always trying to dissect and learn more about. And I think there's something very synchronistic about that day, um, as referenced by the information you provide in Firebrite. Uh, you reference a gentleman named Hal Kinchin,
2: that's the name he gave to Phil.
1: Yeah, okay, so Hal obviously uh when I hear Hal I think of the computer in two thousand one, a space odyssey. Of
2: but course. when I hear
1: when I hear Kinchin I th- I think of um the character of Stephen Daedalus in Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Because that the nickname that Buck Mulligan gives him is Kinch. Oh and I
2: hadn't Made that connection, but and I, you, I do know that Phil read all of uh, James Joyce's works uh, re- more than once, too.
1: Absolutely, and you reference that in the break-in. Uh, Phil says that thousands of notes that he had made on *Finnegans Wake* were in that safe, and those were taken along with, you know, empty bank checks and uh, manuscripts and stuff. But I just wanted to ask you, did Phil, the fact that you remember that notes on Finnegan's Wake were stolen, was that something that he felt particularly uh, despondent about, that those were taken from him?
2: Oh, yes. What he wanted was some academic recognition. He never earned a degree, but he did attend UC Berkeley briefly, majored in philosophy, And for most of his life, uh, friends and family kind of disowned him because he wrote that science fiction. And and it really irks me today when they they proudly proclaim their relationship to him when they treated him like dirt while he was alive. Wow. But... uh, Yeah, he he wanted to be a little more respectable and respected. He'd be honored today by all the people who who do respect his work. He really wanted to um, publish something more academic, which of course led him to this huge manuscript that he called Exegesis, Parts of it have been published, but it's highly re- repetitive. And <clears throat> the manuscript is over 10,000 pages of notes and letters and essays. He never finished it.
0: Was he in that, was he doing that when you two were spending your time together? Was
2: Oh, yeah. He started when he had that mystical experience in 1973.
0: Mm-hmm. And was he highly obsessive about it? Was it something that oh, came between you at, at any point?
2: Well, I did get kind of tired of hearing what God said to him today. <laughs> <laughs> but he he'd been obsessed with religion since the early 60s when he met Bishop Pike, Mm-hmm. the The Episcopal Bishop of California, who wrote a book called "The Other Side about his attempts to use trans mediums to contact his son who had died tragically around the early seventies late sixties early seventies a lot of public figures died uh, not only tragically, but with some connection to drug abuse. We we had, of course, Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Dorothy Kilgallen.
0: That's your scanner.
2: Okay. They are not taking my neighbor away, so I guess she's going to be okay this time.
1: She survived one more ambulance call. Well, 42 <laughs> minutes saves another life.
2: <laughs> She's in her mid-80s and in poor health, so I kind of worry about her. Back when I had a car, I used to bring her meals on wheels. Wonderful. Yeah. But,
0: well, oh, what were we talking about? Oh, we were talking about um. Pike.
2: Bishop Pike. He also died in, in the desert of Israel under mysterious circumstances and Phil suspected that his wife had killed him oh wow I don't know enough to have an opinion but they were driving a Volkswagen which is air cooled out in the desert and they got out of the car and started walking they had no water with them just a bottle of Coca-Cola Hmm. He ended up dead and she almost died. She made it to a small settlement and was rescued. Oh,
1: I didn't know that the wife survived that afternoon. Yeah,
2: Diane Kennedy. She was uh, second wife, not the mother of his children. He had been his secretary.
0: Which, this is the trans
1: transmigration the, of Dr. Timothy, Timothy Archer, Archer.
0: right? This Which, rides. in
1: uh, Phil's later letters uh, discussing the writing of that novel, it seems very um, apparent that he felt that Angel Archer was the most fully formed character he had ever created. That he was so proud of her. And almost felt like it was a higher projection of a person that he wanted to be
0: well, he was never really kind in parentheses to his female characters. he didn't really show them in a in a very flattering light, so that was a completely different character than normal k dick characters in my opinion
2: you you also have Sophia, right but yeah in most of his early novels he had very flat female characters probably because like many men he didn't understand women
1: (laughs) well I think Phil felt that I don't know if Phil felt that many people understood him you know like Um,
2: most people didn't (laughs)
0: Yeah I've I've listened to I mean there's few very few interviews with him but there's one interview that I heard in particular where where Phil says never trust an author um how trustworthy was he I mean can we trust what he's left behind for us as far as his
2: <laughs> Um Phil was two different people okay. He had been subjected to some kind of mind control. And sometimes there'd be some kind of trigger and we couldn't figure out what it was, but he'd be a different person for a while.
0: Now, does this have to do with Thomas?
2: To some extent, but...
0: so so you you were living with different people then basically, and yeah, what, was it a very confusing period uh that that little stretch of time where where he was having his mystical experiences, i mean did when he talks about how he was driving cars different and how he was drinking beer instead of wine and all of those were these things that you noted yourself,
2: well, not those specific things, but When he was himself, he was already um, often self-contradictory. He would uh, change his mind or remember something differently or just uh, delve into paradox. He loved paradox. (laughs) But when he wasn't himself, he was... um, Uh, No longer close to the cat. The cat who always sat on his lap wouldn't come near him.
0: This was Pinky? Pinky?
2: Well, this was after Pinky, we had Harpy Wallbanger. (laughs) (laughs) He was a black half-Siamese cat with crossed eyes, and he would walk into the walls, so we called him Harpy Wallbanger.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, man, that's that's classic. So this cat would have nothing to do with him when he had changed personalities? Right. And you assume... Okay, so in Radio Free Albermouth, he talks about being basically held captive and then threatened that his books would take on a life of their own written as this uh, secret society would want them written. I mean... Do do you see any parallels in in his popularity nowadays in Hollywood? Uh, Do you feel like somebody has hijacked the name of Philip K. Dick at all?
2: Well, if you have read the books and the stories, uh, you begin to realize that Hollywood bought the title, not the story. Right. Uh, Basically... Um, in particular, Total Recall is like a cheap remake of Star Wars, without the, you know, fights in space, but with the scene in the bar and stuff like that.
0: Oh, I see. That's 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 a good point. That's a good point. I never put that together.
1: Mm, yeah. To kind of bring this back to uh, a person that we referenced earlier, uh, Hal Kinchin. In Firebright, you discuss how it was this Hal Kinchin who told Phil one night uh, about the big conspiracy that uh, there was a cabal uh, that was basically of science fiction writers who were encoding messages into their novels to get them out to the public, and that Phil was somehow related to this. So was this an idea that crept into Phil's brain in 1971 that sort of influenced him for the rest of his career?
2: Well, I think that's why he became two people. You see, Hal said to Phil that if he did not agree to cooperate, they would simply kill him and, and have the devil write his novels. Mm. And then shortly after that, Phil went to Canada as a... Guest at a science fiction convention. I think he was the guest of honor, and he intended to stay there and never come back after um, the terrible things had happened in San Rafael. But while he was there, he um, he found himself in the back of a limousine with two men in black, one on each side of him. They were talking to him, but he couldn't remember what they said, and and then he woke up in his apartment uh, swallowing pills, sleeping pills. He almost died, he ended up uh, living through that. He said he called a crisis hotline, and if the... You know, that was back when you had to dial the phone. you put your finger in the slot and turn it. Uh, He said if the last number had been anything but a 1, he never could have dialed it. (laughs) Anyway, he did get rescued from that, but when he came back to, well, he came to Southern California, which is really quite a different country from Northern California where he grew up, he was changed, and that was when he, at least when he thought he had become two people.
0: Mm.
2: And so there was some kind of mind control involved, and we don't know who did it, but they definitely did it.
1: Well, so, this is sort of dives right into a scanner darkly, Right. Right.
0: The Scanner Darkly is very close to the book, though. The movie that they did of that is pretty darn close to what was written. There are certain things that are taken out, like the whole last part of the novel where he discusses what happened to him as far as the phosphorus view, the the what he called the abstract paintings or the uh, the transmission he got from the Russian scientist or whatever. But... Um, what do you feel about that? I mean, you've seen this movie,
2: haven't you? Of course, I have the DVD. <laughs> that, was, that novel was a collaboration. Uh, of course, he was in control, ultimately, but, but I participated in it, till so I was sick of it. <laughs> I thought if the galley proofs came back one more time, I just could not prove them again.
0: I see. I see. How do you feel that about that is. movie, at least?
2: Well, I find it interesting that that one didn't make much money. Mm. No car chases, no uh, shoot 'em out, shoot 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 'em ups, yeah. yeah, or shootouts. It's more cerebral, which is how Phil's work was. Mm-hmm.
0: And how do you feel, feel about Radio Free Albemouth, the the new movie that has been made independently and its troubles finding a distributor?
2: I think that's a shame. I'd really like to see it, but, you know, if it's in getting distribution, they do have a, um, oh, what is that website, a fundraiser on... Kickstarter. Uh, That's it. Yeah, so I've been sharing that link on Facebook and Twitter and so forth. I need to get it up on my blog, but I guess the NSA is is slow readers. They haven't let me log into my blog in a while.
0: (laughs) That's classic. They don't
2: want me to write more until they've read what I already have. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, so, do you feel that there's foul play as far as getting the true story of what happened to Phil out?
2: Oh, I think it's primarily human nature, but okay, uh, somebody's manipulating human nature, which isn't that hard to do. You know, nothing to see here; just walk away.
0: Well, I, I, I love this whole mind control aspect i mean because i heard there's one story about the incident that happened with the filing cabinet and somehow somebody mentioned that it was phil who did it but that didn't make sense to me before because phil got interested i heard in that theory he was like wow what would be my motivation for blowing my own filing cabinet but under these this insight that you're giving me that makes complete sense that's
2: well, he did admit to faking a burglary some several months earlier than that because people were threatening him and he wanted a little more police protection than he was getting. But he didn't do this one. Not He didn't have access to explosives uh-huh. and he wouldn't know how to use them if he did. Plus, um, it wasn't just the explosives. There were wet towels and and asbestos all over the carpet and uh, all the food in the kitchen was dumped out of the refrigerator and the cupboards in a big mess on the floor. And the door had been smashed open. They actually knocked the doorknob off and kicked the door open. It's just not possible that he could have. any one person did all that. And they didn't take any valuables.
1: Well, nothing valuable that someone could pawn, but if someone was interested in his thought processes and the ideas that he drew upon to create well, yeah. the fiction he made, and yes, that what was inside that, that file cabinet would be like downloading you know, Shakespeare's personal diary or, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick's notes on 2001. It would be extremely valuable to someone who knew how to use it.
2: The greatest loss was the manuscript of a novel he had written. He did save uh, the manuscript of Flow My Tears, the policeman said, because his lawyer had a copy... Uh, his divorce lawyer had a copy. (laughs) But there was another novel he had written about the police state and it's gone forever. He said he just couldn't write it again. It brought on this fear that his house would get (laughs) ransacked again.
1: Now the day of the break-in, it is the same Hal Kinshin who calls Phil and says, meet me out at a restaurant. And Phil goes with his friend Stephanie, and right before they leave, they realize that Hal has told them to meet at a chain restaurant, of which there are two. So Phil goes to call Hal back, and all he hears on the telephone is SolarCon 6.
2: Yeah, that was before caller ID. (laughs) Right. So So Hal didn't know who called.
1: So well, this sounds like
2: we don't
1: a no. But this is when Phil's car breaks down out on the highway preventing his return home for several several hours.
2: Yes, and uh, the mechanic said that someone had uh bent the choke cable so that it was running too rich. Cars don't aren't like that anymore. They don't have chokes and carburetors. Right. I miss that, too. I can't even change a spark plug anymore. <laughs> can't find them.
1: Right. Now, this is kind of a jump here, but I want to see if there's any possibility that it relates in any way. You write in Firebright about, you know, after the break-in, after you and Phil are living together, that there was a uh, group that met once a week over at your place, Uh, to watch movies on a film projector. And one of the people who was in this group is Barbara Hershey.
2: Well, this was uh, more like once a month, and Barbara Hershey came only that one time. Okay. She was calling Uh, herself Barbara Hershey Seagull at the time. Uh, She had seen a seagull die out at the beach in Malibu, and it really... um, Affected her. She was sad about
1: it. So she was kind of always known as a hippie, and at this time would be kind of her most hippiest stage, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I find it interesting, too, that uh, I'm imagining that the reason she was over there is because she was a fan of Phil's work.
2: Right.
1: Now, Hershey... uh, is famous for being in Martin Scorsese's uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Hmm. And oddly enough, and I don't know if it's true or not, you know, you can only take Wikipedia with a grain of salt. But in that uh, article, they state that it's Barbara Hershey that turned Martin Scorsese on to the book uh, Last Temptation of Christ, that he didn't know the book until Barbara Hershey brought it to him. So I'm wondering if Barbara Hershey brought the works of Philip K Dick to many uh Hollywood uh directors or luminaries.
2: Well, I don't know, but it's a distinct possibility. Also, um a number of uh students at at UCLA's uh filmmaking school were into Philip K Dick. Um most notably what's his name? Uh <laughs> Uh not George Lucas, um although he might have been a fan, another Spielberg of, Hmm?
1: Spielberg Not Spielberg
2: Spielberg, yeah, I think that's who
1: now, in the story about the visit of Barbara Hershey, um, you mentioned that Phil was kind of making fun of her a little bit or teasing her a little bit, but that he said well, that she would make a very good actress to portray Rachel but in your uh in Firebright you say Rachel from Ubik but I don't recall a major character in Ubik named Rachel so I'm wondering if maybe he was referencing her being Rachel from Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep
2: mm. Well I might have had the name wrong but I had the right book because there was a um Film option on Ubik at the time, and Phil was writing the screenplay. Let's see if I can come up with her name.
1: Oh, I, the the precog with the the talent to make time. Pat. Yeah. Uh,
2: Pat, Pat Conroy, Conroy, I think. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, he might have changed her name in the screenplay too. He had a thing about the name Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, he, he made a little square with his hands like like a, a like the square of a piece of film and kept mm-hmm. holding it up to her face saying, you should be in movies. And the reason he did that was because the um, independent producer, his name I've forgotten, had told him, told Phil who she was, but asked him not to let on because she didn't want us to know who she was. She wanted to be anonymous. (laughs) So he was forcing her to tell him who she was. (laughs) He did that once before when the girl down the street told us that her new boyfriend was an undercover cop, but she wasn't supposed to tell anyone. So when we went to visit the two of them in their apartment, Phil brought a tin of Dean Swift snuff and told the guy it was cocaine.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. So he was a joker then.
2: Yeah, he was a bit of a pixie or, you know, kind of a rascal.
0: Okay. So uh, this is interesting because you guys are talking about... Um, these movies that he watched. In Valis, there's a very interesting segment where he basically analyzes the Mother Goose movie. And that's a lot of what the individuals who listen to this podcast do. I mean, we're, we we have this whole system where we uh, look at hidden symbolism and, and whatnot in movie. Is this what I mean, is this a common thing that he used to do? Did he watch movies and, and rant about them afterwards?
2: Uh, he didn't actually watch very many movies in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, he had agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did watch them on television, and he read the reviews the, the, in the Sunday paper, the New York Mostly the New York Times reviews, but also Los Angeles Times reviews of books and movies. And he could um, convince you that he had seen the movie when he hadn't. He was that good just from <laughs> reading reviews. Well wow. He did see uh, Soylent Green. That's the one where, where right. Charlton Heston shouts silent Green is people. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't um, say anything bad about it. He liked it.
0: So, I mean, the, what I'm getting at is a lot of people wonder about what movie inspired that whole segment in Valis. It, was there anything like that? I mean, he, he talks about watching TV and seeing the the commercials that... To highlight King Felix's name and stuff of that nature. Was this part of his crazy? I mean, did he ever talk to you about things like that?
2: He had uh, a vision of, of a King Felix in the form of a cat, <laughs> a cartoon cat, right? Yeah, Felix.
0: Felix the but cat.
2: I I think in some ways that movie scene might have been inspired by. Um, Oh, Lord. The Manchurian Candidate.
0: Wow. So we're back to the mind control again.
2: Yeah. He had seen that movie before it got banned after JFK was shot.
0: Right. So he, JFK saw, JFK. he saw the relationship in his own experiences as, as being two different people or being mind controlled. He saw that played out in The Manchurian Candidate, which almost confirmed what he thought about himself.
2: And he would not allow a deck of cards in the house because, if you recall, the Manchurian—well, the uh, mind control subject would play solitaire, and when he saw the queen of diamonds, he would uh, obey his controllers.
0: Right. So he didn't want to be triggered. He—he. I think
2: he was afraid that I would be triggered. He always <laughs> suspected that I was planted to to do something bad to him.
0: Was it a good you know, relationship my between you guys? It was pretty
2: good and close. Well, we had our uh I don't want to say fights, I guess disputes, heated arguments. But uh,
1: I can't even imagine what arguing with Philip K. Dick would be like.
2: <laughs> Well, <laughs> I don't know. It isn't easy to argue with me when I'm passionate, but...
1: <laughs> you know, I wanted uh, to ask he, you this he question. He would
2: start arguments. Hmm?
1: He would Keep start arguments. Keep going, Tessa.
2: Oh, he would just start arguments over trivial things, and I was didn't really care about the subject of the argument. I just didn't want to argue. So I, I'd leave the room and he'd start that, you're mad at me. No, I'm not. Why are you mad at me? I'm not mad at you. Yes, you are.
1: God. <laughs> can't
2: win in that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what
0: did Christopher think about this? What did Christopher think about his dad?
2: Well, he was very close to his dad. Spend a lot of time with him. And, uh, you know, lost him way too soon. Still can't uh, even watch uh, YouTube videos of his dad. It it makes him cry. Wow. You know, he was a character in, I think it was Bishop Timothy Archer as well. He was Emmanuel, Uh, the short... Nickname was Manny.
0: Divine Invasion.
2: Ah. That's right.
0: Wow, so Manny was based off of Christopher.
2: Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Uh, So he passed the torch uh, on this. Well, Well,
2: Manny is the savior. There's a fine line between genius and madness. (laughs) <laughs> it's easy to cross. We especially, especially when someone messes with your head.
0: We, you know, Tessa, we are coming down to the bottom of our forty-two minutes now, and it's it's almost uh, saddening because I wish we had more time to talk to you today. So, well, so,
2: maybe we can do this again sometime.
0: I would love to, if that's all right with you. I would absolutely love to bring you back on again. That would be fantastic. Um, but in, until then, I was wondering if you'd go ahead and and tell the listeners uh, where they can find your work and, and what you would like them to be into.
2: Well, um, all of my work is on Amazon and most of it is on Kindle. If you look around, you can find some things on other websites, but Amazon's the best place. And my most recent novel is called Fallen Angels. It's uh, a sort of science fantasy in which the survivors of an exploded planet take refuge on the Earth.
0: Wonderful. And...
2: uh, Yeah, and and people live here, too. (laughs) There will be a second one if I ever find the time to write.
0: Well, like I said...
2: like like most writers, I'm busy making a living.
0: (laughs) Is there anything you'd like to add, Bill?
1: Oh, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to speak with you, and I look forward to whatever new work you're able to bring out.
2: Oh, thank you. Oh, and don't forget Firefly. Absolutely, highly recommend Firebrite. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, you have a wonderful day, and until we meet again, um, we'll <laughs> we'll just uh, keep in contact with you. Oh,
2: thank you. This was really a great interview.
0: It's a lot of fun.
2: I've some bad ones. I <laughs> bet people get mad at me for saying the same things I said to you.
0: No, this is well. I mean, people have such a high opinion. Now, I don't mean this as like a uh, a good opinion. They just feel kind of weasels his way into you, and you kind of feel like you know him, and so when you come along and and say, no, this is what Phil really was like. It's kind of like dipping your head in cold water. So, so I mean, yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I would like, you know, I know that he was a very a- anxiety-ridden person, but to hear about his own theories and, and of, of what his life was like as compared to what people have, you know, glamorized him as is, is a treat for me personally.
2: Well, I like to spread the word that he was more than a mad genius.
1: Yeah, you really bring out the human side uh, of Philip K. Dick, and I think it makes him a much more vulnerable uh, individual, and I think it only adds depth to uh, his legacy.
2: Yeah, I want him to be remembered as something more than just uh, someone who went nuts. (laughs) Because that isn't what happened. And he was more than a nutcase, much more.
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks again for spending so much time with us. And I hope to talk to you again very soon.
2: Okay. All
0: right. Bye-bye, Justin. Bye.
2: Bye, Bye, Bill and Bill. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Tessa Dick on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio at thesyncbook.com. More information about The SyncBook, our guest, or to check out past shows, or even if you would like to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit the website at thesyncbook.com slash 42 minutes if you would like or if you like what you hear and would like to support the show um, by all means follow the link on the website to the donation page thank you and by all means have a wonderful Tuesday